on the panel, uh, NZ National, Wallace Chapman with you. Good to be here now uh, due to a breakdown on State Highway 1 Southern Motorway. The right northbound lane is blocked after the Ellerslie Panua Highway passed with care. Expect delays. We'll keep you up to date uh, with that. Well, the New Zealand general election has given the country a change of government. There are a few threads worth a look at uh, as that process continues. But one is the rise and rise of Te Pāti Māori, formed by Dame Tariana Turia and Peter Sharples after the 2004 shore, foreshore and seabed issue. They formed a minority government with support of them. Uh, of uh, ACT and United Future uh, and co-party leaders Tariana Turia and Te Flavel stepped down from the Māori Party in 2017 and the future wasn't by any means assured. But here they are in 2023 to party Māori on a roll. With us, Scott Campbell is the Communications Director, provides support to a range of iwi and hapu entities pre- and post-treaty settlement. Also a former Senior three news journalist uh, Scott Kiora, nice to have you here. Kiora Wallace. Yes, so securing four of the seven Māori electorates, and it might not be over as special votes roll in. Um, was this a surprise, do you think, or actually not really? Uh, I think the Te Pāti Māori um, supporters will tell you probably not really, but but everyone else, all the commentators around it, um, absolutely a surprise, I think. Um, Waiariki um, would have been a certainty with Rawiri Waititi. I think that was um, a given, but the rest of the seats were really quite surprising, at least from the outside. And you're right, two of those um, senior current ministers, Calvin Davis and Penny Henari, have only got, well, they're less than 500 votes um, mm. ahead at the moment. Labour, Labour only won one seat, which was the Kuro Rafati seat. And um, I think the the campaign that Te Pāti Māori ran, that was a, it was a really smart campaign. They went for the under 40 vote, the rangatahi vote. So they did a lot of social media work. Um, they, they focused on the people who are not traditionally the ones who get out and vote. Um, and we've seen this time around uh, that they have, both in Hauraki Waikato, where we now have the youngest MP, um, who in mm. Hana Rafati might be Clark, uh, and in Te Taitunga, so the South Island seat with Takuta Ferris. Um, both of those, they went strong after the young vote. Oh, and I'll bring it over to the panel here, uh, Scott. I'm just pulling out that lens for a bit because it is interesting because I can recall, Scott, so clearly, you know, when in 2017 uh, Te Ura Flavel um, and Tariana exited and Te Ura was really in tears. I, I can always recall that, uh, that, that that piece of footage. He was very, very upset that, you know, this may or may not be the end of the Māori Party, but he was very, very hopeful of the future. And here we have here, 2023, in a way, a renaissance. Well, and, and a rise and rise, I think, as you put it at the intro there. And I think you're absolutely correct. The, a couple of days after that 2017, there were questions about whether that was it for the Māori Party. Mm. Had, they, had they done their dash? Um, it, was a, uh, it was a reaction to the foreshore and seabed um, legislation. And I think people at that point questioned whether or not they were just a party um, who was born out of an issue uh, and whether or not they could sustainably keep a voice inside Parliament. And I think that's probably where Rawiri Waititi has, uh, and, and Debbie Nairiwapaka have done a, uh, a service to the party and that they have been that, the, the rock in the shoe of government and they will continue to be. And I think part of the role they will play in the next parliament is that they will be that voice for Māori 
And at the moment, if we look across the parliament, and particularly in the new government side, there won't be a strong voice for Māori. And so I think they will they will embrace that opposition voice again. Um, and if they have managed to pick up the under 40 vote, then they've right. got election after election after election after mm. election to come. Yep, Janet. Mm. Mm. G'day, Scotty. How are you? Hi, Janet. Hey, um, this I, I find Te Party Māori the most fascinating part of the entire election, um, not only because of the way they ran the, the um, campaign, as you a- outlined, but also the fact that, that they are an incredibly different party today. Their, their, their rise is, they're not the party of Tariana Turia and Te Uruua Flavel, are they? They are, uh, they are representative of that very independent, young Māori voice Will we ever see them, apart from going with... They, they've said that they'll go with Labour. They'd never go with National again, would they? Oh, I wouldn't say never. Um, in politics, Janet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you, you, you are absolutely correct. They are quite yeah. a different party now than what they were in, in, um, in Tariana Tūri and Peter Sharple's days. And I think what they did after the 2017 election is they went right back to, I'm going to use the term, the activist core. Uh, mm. And they built that part of the party, um, and they became that authentic Māori voice. Where I think they've then picked up is the soft Labour uh, vote, a lot of the soft Labour vote who didn't want to bring themselves to vote for Labour again, and they've probably voted a split vote uh, on Saturday. Uh, and I think that that's if, if they if they continue in the opposition for the next couple of years, who knows what happens in yeah. moving forward. Mm. Peter. Takuta oh, Ferris is the one to watch. Oh, okay. he, he, yes. will be, he will be a future leader. Oh, yes. interesting, Scott. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. All right, yeah. Peter. It's been it's been interesting to watch the rise of Te, te Pāti Māori in the House. Uh, we watched quite a bit of debate. And the, uh, um, uh, Rauri Waititi has, has been unequivocal. He's never taken a step backwards in that House. He's made his name, his, his, his presence felt, he's made his focus felt, and he's never stepped backwards. And it's, as you say, I think it's it's, it's a very clear mandate that he's got and and so people I think are able to read that particularly easily and they broadsided Labour in those seats, they absolutely cannoned them out of the way, it was I think think it took Labour by uh, a horrific surprise that it was so strong but I think it's a statement on on the way that those people held that party together so strongly and stuck to their guns and were not going to back down, you know, I'm not going to wear a tie, I'm not going to do this and you know, and Mm. just just held that line and it was clear to understand and I think one of the, the principles watching this is that if you have a clear line and you stick to it it's easy for people to understand it and the vote goes your way for those people that are likely to be swayed by it. Would that be true in your case? Yeah, Absolutely Peter, I think on um, and in particular picking up on the younger vote so I think we've seen this in a number of issues across the country over the last couple of years I think think, um, potentially this referendum on these types of things, they've picked up that voice um, I don't like to use the term the protest voice, but it is there. Uh, and because in the past the they've, they've been connected with, with both Labour and National from time to time and, and there was a sort of an equivocation that occurred that left you going, well, which way are you going to go? And this, they, they, I think they made it very clear where they're going to stand. Yeah. They're the Māori voice, and I think yeah. that that's the one that they'll bring to this parliament yeah. moving forward. And I think the next three years, um, the, the the risk of these referenda and, and um, taking away um, Takafaiwa to the Māori Health Authority, well, that's only giving them a stronger voice. So it'll be interesting to see where they go, um, but I think we will hear lots more from them.
Yeah, very good to have you on the program, Scott. Kia ora. That's uh, Scott uh, Campbell, uh, Communications Director. He uh, provides support to a range of iwi hapu entities, uh, pre- and post-treaty settlement. So that is the rise and rise of uh, Te Pāti Māori. Now, uh, it wasn't just a big night for them. It was a big night for other smaller parties as well, the Greens, three electorate seats, and then ACT, who will be part of the incoming government. Brooke Van Valden gave ACT a second electorate seat, winning Tāmaki, with a 4,500-vote margin over national Simon O'Connor. And it wasn't so long ago that ACT was a 1% party with a single MP. It did have nine list MPs in the 1999 and 2002 election. ACT formed in '93 by former National Party MP Derek Quigley and former Labour Party MP Sir Roger Douglas. And with us is Heather Roy, former ACT Deputy Leader, Minister in the Key Government, sometime uh, panellist. Uh, Heather, kia ora. Nice to have you here. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, again, interesting history there, eh? I mean, from really, let's face it, being a minnow, 1% or thereabouts for much of the 2000s, to now often polling in the double digits, has the time truly arrived for ACT? I think it has, Wallace, and but I think also the winner on this election night, to my mind, was MMP. We're seeing what MMP always intended, and that was a, a better diversification of the or representation of the New Zealand population. So yes, ACT did very well, but so did a lot of the other parties. And there comes a point when you know the big parties aren't any longer going to be able to sort of look down their nose at the smaller parties and just put them on their place, hoping they will just get over the 5%. I think the Greens are well and truly established, and I think ACT is getting there too. David Seymour, possible Deputy Prime Minister? Yes, possibly, although I do believe that in knowing David, um, I think that that's not what he's there for. If he's offered Deputy Prime Ministership and gets some of the policy gains that he really wants to see, they'll be very happy. But he would forego that role in order to get better policy gains. Okay, I'll bring bring the panellists shortly. Uh, But we talked about succession with the party, Māori, you know, future leaders. And here I'm looking at um, Brooke Van Valden, um, are we seeing in the future, not now, but in the future, a possible uh, leader or even co-leader? Because she has really, um, she's really hit her strides, has she not? Yes, she has, and possibly Wallace. I think David's got a lot more life left. Of than course, yeah, yeah. I think actually the two of them form a really great team. Um, Brooke started off as a as a staffer, and she she was the the driving force behind the. Um, the euthanasia bill, uh, the, uh, which we're not supposed to call it that. I've forgotten its, its real name. But um, she gained a lot of experience and confidence from that experience. And um, this this winning of Tamaki at the weekend, where she worked extraordinarily hard uh, with a grassroots campaign, I think has well and truly cemented her her respect in Parliament, uh, and particularly within the ACT Party. On the panel, Peter. Uh, she, she was quite involved with the um, Parnell Business Association, wasn't she? From from memory, she, she spent quite a bit of time in that in that area. Do you think those businesses and those people in that area helped swing that for her? Oh, possibly. I think that she was everywhere in the electorate. She worked extraordinarily hard. She was door knocking. She had all of those um, those street corner meetings, and the, the areas that you've been had an interest in or worked in previously always help because people know you. 
And I think that is a big part of her success. I think the people in Tamaki actually felt they had gotten to know her and uh, and she won their vote over that way. Janet. Um, hi, Heather. How are you? Hi. Good. Thank you, Janet. Good. Um, look, I'm really interested in this because I think Brooke ran a fantastic campaign, but I'm, I'm just looking at the real politic behind it as well. And what I'm really interested in is that we had a previous um, member in there who was very socially conservative in a, a, an electorate that was actually probably socially liberal. And um, when Brooke came along, she became the disruptor to all of that. That as well as the fact that she was prepared to work and do, do wear out shoe leather, basically, mm. which is what good campaigning is all about. Would you attribute that as one of the reasons why she, she was able to secure that 4,500 vote margin? Yes, I, I, I do. I agree completely with that analysis. I think that Tamaki is quite a liberal electorate. And people look for people that represent their views. And I think that uh, the policy initiatives that Brooke was talking about and her liberal approach, uh, I think it did speak to people and they felt an affinity with her there. Yeah, with us, Heather Roy, former ACT Deputy Leader and a Minister in the Key Government. Also, Heather, some have commented on the success of young women in the in this election, you know, you, the likes of Brooke Van Velden, Hannah Rafferty, uh, might be Clark, Tamitha Poor, Chloe Swarbrook, and then there's uh, Julianne Gentle also. Um, got to be a good thing? Yes. I mean, really, it's a coming of age, isn't it, for young women? I was 37 when I went to Parliament, and I was considered young, but not any longer. Now, these younger, 21. very vibrant, <laughs> uh, very you know, enthusiastic young women are really stamping their authority on politics, and that's a great thing. You know, I think I talked about that diversification that MMP has brought, and I think now young women have a confidence that they can come to Parliament and make a real contribution, and I think that's, that's very positive. Can I about where they stand. Yeah. Oh, yeah, run the panel, Janet. Sorry. All right. Heather, what advice would you have to those young MPs coming in? What would you say to them? Uh, I think they're all there because they're strong women. They have strong and very um, good instincts. And the thing that I learnt to appreciate really well when I was at Parliament after I gained a bit of confidence uh, was to trust your instincts. And so I think that none of them are, are shrinking violets. They've all got um, a strong feel for their parties and what they believe in. And I think they need to just portray that confidently. I, I think you're right. I, I was watching Chloe Swarbrick at the at the end of of her uh, meeting her constituency, and she's amazingly passionate and erudite and educated yes. and clear, and she's got this energy that just translates into the room. And you watch everybody respond to her in a way that's that's extraordinary. And I I, I put some of that down to the fact that she's this the, another one of these extraordinary young women in our parliamentary process that is just going to grow from strength to strength. And and and, and I mean sort of another Jacinda because Jacinda had that oratory skill down pat. She was terrific at it. And to see it coming out in other, other people is amazing. It's wonderful. It's great to see. That's right. And look, I think that all of the young women we've talked about today actually have the potential to be there. Chloe's been there for a bit longer than the others, and yep. she's got a real confidence about her. But look, Brooke Van Velden, Tamantha Paul, Hannah Rowiti, Maipa Clark, Katie Nimmin, I think we're going to see mm. that increasingly from all of them as they, they find their feet. 
Very good, Heather. Kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's Heather Roy, uh, their uh, former uh, ACT Deputy Leader. Uh, yes, um, Stuart says, Brooke Van Valen, definitely leadership qualities. You heard Scott Campbell there uh, talk about uh, Te Pāti Māori's uh, Ferris as a future leader to watch. So some really interesting stuff come out of this uh, election, to be sure. Right, Janet? Absolutely. I think Takuta Ferris really shone in the stuff debate. And and I, I think, you know, in, in the Māori world, he may well have been, as an academic, been well known. But um, he, he kind of came to everybody else's attention then. And definitely, as Scott said, um, leadership material, I but would say. Before we move on, any overriding themes, uh, th- things, to, things that you are specifically watching, Janet? Um, I, I hope we calm down. I really take yeah. in mind <laughs> the gratitude that, that Peter was expressing about this country. I think this was probably one of the grouchiest elections we've had in many a long day. And and I think Peter's absolutely 100% right. We live in, a, in probably one of the most beautiful places in the world, yeah. and we are good people, all of us, in our own ways. But we've got to be able to have the conversations. And got to be able debates. to talk to each other. Yeah. And we've got to be yeah. able to talk to each other in a, in a, in a reasonable kind of fashion. Nice one, really good. All right, Uh, Peter Elliott and Janet Wilson here. Uh, I'm not sure campaigning is as important as all that, but ACT did a very good job in opposition over the past term while National was struggling to sort itself out. Uh, Same as for the Greens and Labour during the last days of the John Key government is this person's point of view. Cathy says, I think the main reason Van Valen won Tamaki was she got around the area with meetings and discussed specific issues while Simon O'Connor, in my view, was complacent in a safe seat. Uh, 26 past four. Well, good Lord, we have had such a response from this. And this from the ABC. Did you grow up with Scott's emulsion, or as people are calling it, Lane's emulsion, the health elixir made from cod liver oil? Were you made to take a daily constitutional, a tablespoon of cod liver oil before school, part of growing up for so many, part of our social history? In the 19th century, a daring pharmacist set out to conquer the brutal Norwegian winters with cod liver oil. And there was was a catch. It was deemed a nutrient powerhouse, but it tasted shockingly foul. Says one, oh my goodness, I can still taste it 30 years later. Well, with us is Daphne. Hello, Daphne. Hello. How are you? Hello to you. Now, how about you? Can you recall cod liver oil? Oh, yes. Yeah, I was a post-war child born in 1948. And in England, we had a serious problem with rickets, which is a vitamin, due to a vitamin D deficiency, lack of sunlight and lack of fish oil. So the government provided cod liver oil and concentrated orange juice once a fortnight. It was brought by the public health nurse who came to see us once a fortnight, weighed us and measured us. It didn't matter how rich we were. I was from an aristocratic family with a home farm, and my diet was ideal, and I lived in the south of England. But the northern half of England was 
really deficient in vitamin D, no sunlight, no fresh fish. So they needed the cod liver oil. But I was required to have it. My nanny, not my mother, but my nanny, the one who looked after me, uh, gave me a teaspoonful once a day for maybe a few months and she realized that I didn't really like it. It was disgusting. So (laughs) she spared me the cod liver oil and and I loved the orange juice. (laughs) Well, they're all coming through, Daphne, all your cod liver oil memories, but there's something even worse that's just come through, newsflash. Who remembers milk of magnesia? Oh. Oh. Oh, terrible stuff. <laughs> Daphne's gone. <laughs> oh, Daphne, thank you for that. Great memories. I'll leave you with that shocking memory, milk of magnesia. There's oh, something oh. worse. Um, thank you, Daphne. Oh, Jenna, it's part of our... Uh, it's part of a social history, isn't it? Remember, it's, oh, it's, it is. It's almost mm-hmm. like... Um, Paternalism, isn't it? Yeah, your, yeah. Your, your cod liver oil. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, we Cast never had it in our family. Them. We had malt. Can you yeah, remember malt the exo. malt? My yeah, brother was malt fed malt exo. Malt exo. A lot of people are coming I used through. To eat, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I would eat it by the jar full. Oh, he if, hated it. And it was it. basically sh- I loved you basically it. Basically like sugar, caramel. yeah. Shocking stuff. Sugar. Yeah, no, I was yeah. raised as a vegetarian and it's a bit weedy, so my mother used to ram all that sort of stuff down your throat to, to give you iron and stuff like that. It was a horrific, you know. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm now interested. We have we run of our feet with, with, with cod liver oil memories. I, I want to know why we were given milk of magnesia. What was that? It was just very, very... It was disgusting, wasn't it? It was a weird thing. It was in a blue bottle. Um, yes, it was. Yeah. I remember it with a cork. Oh, yeah. yes. uh, Stuart says, Lane's emulsion. I suggested to Trevor Mallard that a spoonful would be a useful treatment for breaking the rules during the debates. <laughs> <laughs> he was sympathetic to the idea, but felt there'd be too much resistance. How odd. Um, yeah. Lane's emulsion, and yes, our mum attempted to get us to take it, but I used to hold it in my mouth and spit it down the toilet. Graham says a teaspoon of castor oil before breakfast yeah. and a Halleborange capsule. Um, another one here, Lane's emulsion was our final revolting tonic. It was gross. And David <laughs> in Devonport says, yeah, Lane's emulsion and Buckley's Canadiol mixture, mixture. Buckley's Canadiol mixture. Yep. Yeah. And oh. Maltexo. This got me through the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> a substitute for sunlight. <laughs> oh, they're oh, all Lord. coming through now. Oh, good Lord. grief. Um, your yeah. um, your milk of magnesia and cod liver oil <clears throat> memories. Text me 2101.